Would you please turn with me now to John chapter 6. And we'll be reading verses 22 to 59. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 59. We take up the story after Jesus fed the 5,000. He walks on the water before the disciples, and now he's over on the other side of the Galilee, or Lake Galilee. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which he, his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign would you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work would you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and, it is as, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sorry. For the bread of God is he who, come down, down, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What I said to you, that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me, sorry, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will be by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of, that of all he has given, he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will, who sent, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him and said, I am the bread, oh, sorry, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written, <coughs> pardon me, it is written in the prophets, and he shall be, he shall be, Sorry, he shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. 
he has been he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that no one that <clears throat> that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread the bread that I shall give is my flesh, and I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live, for, this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. Our dear God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading from your word. But Lord, as we examine this, this matter of the Lord Jesus being the bread of life, the one who satisfies our hunger and thirst, Lord, we pray that you would open the true meaning of this, uh, this word to our hearts. Lord, to lift us up that we might rejoice in you. To challenge those this morning, Lord, amongst us who are unconverted. And our Heavenly Father, in all these things we pray uh, that your name would be honoured and glorified. And we, so we commit this time unto you in Christ's name. Amen. Bread. Wow. It was interesting sometimes in Victoria, on those cold mornings, and we used to get cold mornings, anything between minus seven and plus two. Um, sometimes... I'd wake up in the morning and Freya would cook some bread and you could smell the aroma of that fresh bread through the house. And I think that, don't think there's anything better than that. We didn't do it too often because we were worried about the fact that we ate the bread in one day, the loaf of bread in one day, because <laughs> uh, it's so nice. And there's a lot of work that goes into making bread, but it's a lot easier today with mechanised bread machines like we've got. We do all the mixing, all the kneading, all the rising and all the baking. But that unmistakable aroma of fresh bread reminded me of Jesus' words when he says that he is the living bread. Far more satisfying than the bread that you and I eat. To me, that's quite a claim. There aren't many things that's better than fresh bread. So it is, it's in the spiritual realm that Jesus is saying uh, he is a necessary food for sinners' souls. Today we will learn that Jesus is the absolute staple the absolute staple of spiritual life. He is the soul's basic and only need. There are, of course, all kinds of other spiritual needs, foods that are offered today, but Christ is the necessary food. Christ is the living bread. He is able to impart spiritual life as well as to sustain it. He's able to give it as well as to keep it. He's able to bestow it as well as nourish it and make it grow. That's why I was so encouraged by these, these few words here in verse 35 of John 6. The Lord Jesus Christ would have us know that he himself is the appointed food of man's soul. Why? Why is that? Because the soul of every man, woman 
and child is naturally starving, famishing through sin, through original sin, through sin that's been committed since they were born into this world. For the believer, as you're here, pray that you may be, may be fully fed and rejoice that you are fed by Christ. But for the unbeliever today, the unbeliever today, the Lord Jesus simply says, Come. Come and hunger no more. Believe and thirst no more. But what does this mean? Unbeliever, as you hear the meaning of this verse, I pray that you will answer the call of the Holy Spirit today. So let us look at this, this verse under three headings. Firstly, the living bread. Secondly, come and hunger no more. And thirdly, believe and thirst no more. In verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Here Jesus says, he is, he is bread that is different than the bread that we know. He is the living bread. He also says in scripture, I am the light. He says, I am the bread. But he also says in scripture, I am the light. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection of life, of life and resurrection in the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And this are the many I am statements are important. We first hear that statement to Moses when Moses said, who are you? He says, I am. God said, I am that I am. He's the great I am. He's the great Jehovah. And Jesus is saying, in my divinity, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He had performed this. He had performed the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 before this episode. And when he did that, all the audience thought, aha, the Messianic king has arrived. They're looking for an earthly king. They're ready to crown him on the spot. But aware of, being aware of this, Jesus took off in a boat at night to the other side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to Capernaum. But the next day, the people sought and found him there. And Jesus admonished them about their, their error in verse 26 when he says, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. They had their physical hunger satisfied. They weren't looking at any kind of spiritual example that Jesus was uh, saying to them. And then in verse 27, he says, Do not labour for the food which perishes, that's the food we eat, but the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. That was the promise that he was making to those people at that time. And here Jesus is explaining the actual significance of his miracle. However, their hearts were set on earthly things, on the physical benefits they could receive, receive if Jesus would be their king. They thought about all things like, aha, here's a king that's going to def defeat the Roman conquerors. Aha, here's a king that's going to give us bread and fishes all our lives. Earthly things. Jesus must, and he does explain to them who and what he really is. He says, he is the great I am. He says, I am the bread of life. The very revelation of Jehovah God come down to save his people. He's revealing himself as the divine saviour. You see, when Jesus, when Jesus is identifying himself as the bread of life, he has in view not only the miracle he has performed that day, or the previous day, but also the manner in which God gave his people in the wilderness. For that bread was from heaven also. But he immediately points out to them that the, 
that the Moses did not give them bread, but the Father did. That came from his Father. In fact, that manna was like a type of Christ. And that's why Jesus says in verses 32 and 33, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, the Jews had missed the point entirely. But now he can, can compare and contrast, contrast that manner with himself. The true bread of God from heaven. And that's what he does here in John chapter 6. A wonderful chapter, this one. And it's not hard to grasp the basic meaning of this figure of speech. Jesus, of course, is not saying he's literally a piece of bread, is he? He's saying, uh, and that would be to think in earthly and in carnal terms. But he is saying, he's speaking of the spiritual truth under the figure of bread as a daily necessity. As I said to the kids, we normally eat bread every day, unless you've got some kind of allergy or something like that, to, to, to gluten. But we normally have that every day. It's a daily necessity. And he's saying, I am a daily necessity for your life. You need to feed on me. He's identifying himself as the only spiritual food of our souls. He's revealing himself as the saviour of sinners. This is what he's trying to get across to these people. He is saying that he is, he is the only one who can fill man's soul with grace and with us with perfect satisfaction. And I said to the kids, what happens, how do you feel after you've eaten? Well, I feel satisfied. I feel good. I feel I don't need to eat anymore at this particular time. It's no matter what we eat. It's, it's food that we take in. It is Christ alone who then can nourish man with forgiveness and friendship with God and eternal life. And in that sense, Jesus is bread. Not just any bread, not just another bread, but the bread of life. That's what I'm trying to get across to us today, and particularly to our kids, to our covenant children. He is the bread. He's a bread that you need. And I wanted to cast your mind upon the significance of this, this verse of John chapter 6, 35. In this verse, we get an idea of just how challenging Jesus' words were to his first hearers, especially those who had some kind of wealth and position. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Here, Jesus has challenged the Jews to find their treasure that he offered, rather than riches and prestige, or whatever else they crave for. But their response is rather clever, I think. Rather than discuss or deal with the things Jesus is saying, his opponents turn the conversation to the question of his upbringing, therefore his authority. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they don't ask what that means. They don't say they disagree, they disagree with it. They said in verse 42, and I'll summarise it this way, verse 42, who made you so smart? Aren't you just Joseph and Mary's son? Who made you from God? Who made you God? What Jesus is introducing here, then, is a need for spiritual discipline. The first step for us is to give up our excuses. Like, isn't that just Joseph's son? Give up on those excuses and look closely and honestly at ourselves. In Psalm 139 this morning, we said, we read, Search me, O Lord, and know my ways. And that's a powerful verse, as we recognise this morning in the prayer meeting. A very powerful verse to ask God to actually search us and reveal all 
That is wrong within us. Could we cope with that? Can we cope with that? But I believe we can because Jesus, we feed on Jesus. It is a challenge for us. It is a challenge that God takes uh, our spiritual standings significantly. God takes, uh, it takes God to challenge our spiritual standing as we saw in that psalm this morning. Looking at our misguided dependencies is not for the faint heart as we recognise this morning also, which of course we all are. So we can't do it without leaning on and trusting in God. Yes, we can ask God to search us, but we need him to help us through that, that process. So, you know, when I think about this verse, how many times have we seen it on a church notice board? Not, not on our notice board, but churches round about, how often have we heard it mentioned? And I just wonder, what do you really understand by that? When he says, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Could you answer the question when you are asked, how can you hunger and thirst no more? Well, a bit of a blank look from the kids when I asked that question. I think that's, a, that's the kind of blank look we would get from people who have no knowledge of scripture, who are unbelievers. Does it mean that Christ gave the disciples in his time bread to eat that they can never be hungry or thirsty again? Can you defend your faith over this well-known verse? I think that Jesus knew that if people followed him, if they connected with God in the way that he connected with God, if they understood and followed the things that are good and matter in life, then they will have found that eternal, uh, found that et- uh, gate to eternal life. This is the bread of heaven. And the bread that never leaves you spiritually hungry. The bread that finally satisfies. And he has offered his very self that we might turn away from those unsatisfying things and chase other, after other things. He offered his very self that we might eat the bread of eternal life. Surely, surely this is bread from heaven. We know that Christ came upon this earth to fulfil his Father's purposes. He was sent by a father who possesses an infinite love for an infinitely, infinitely sinful people. I think, well, am I infinitely sinful? Well, yes. Yes. But God has an infinite source of love. He has an infinite source of love. So Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me by his death upon the cross because of that infinite love for me as an infinitely bad sinner. This was according to a deliberate will and plan of God. That the way should be open for sinners to obtain a right relationship with God. And that sinners might have eternal life. But what about the needs of of believers living upon, upon the earth? Now, what are our deepest needs? Our deepest needs, I believe, are forgiveness of sins. A reconciled relationship with God and a new life without the burden of sin and shame. And Christ is telling us here today, as the great I am, he meets that need. And he says, come, our second point, come and hunger no more. He's given us a need, but how do we stay free from that hunger? And he utters those words because he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And this is an amazing statement because here Christ is claiming to to fill empty souls. Souls that are in distress. Souls that are dealing with troubles. Souls that are dealing with family issues. Souls that are dealing with relationship issues. 
is here to help us. He was also answering the mockery of the Jews in, in, that, in verse 34, where they said, um, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. The Jews were obviously looking for a sign similar to what their, their forefathers had received in the wilderness, a physical sign of manna. This is the sentence before. They're missing the point completely. They were trying to accuse Christ of, of conceit because he had pre- previously, previously declared that he gives the bread of life. And Calvin, Calvin gave a, a really good comment here in this particular uh, part of this verse. He says, These unhappy men are not sat- simply satisfied with sin, the sin of rejecting God's promises, but throw the guilt of their unbelief on Christ. And that's what happens. Unbelievers throw their guilt upon Christ. Oh, who is this man that can save us? Look at the world around us now. It's in a mess. How can God send us a saviour when this world is in such a mess? Ooh, they don't think about their own hearts, do they? But here Christ has declared, he is the appointed food of men's souls. We know about bread. The kids mentioned some of the things today. It is a necessary food, full of carbohydrates. That are, they're the building blocks for cell, cellular energy. There's a little bit of biology there. We can manage reasonably well without many things in our diet, but bread is one of those key ingredients for healthy living, for that very thing. Bread is a food that goes with most other foods and it's easy to digest and hence it easily satisfies our hunger. See, the, see what's happening here? We've got that, that physical picture of physical bread and the need for it. And that's why Christ is saying, I am the bread of life. It's that same kind of, that, uh, same kind of example. We, we love our bread, it's a necessity of life. We love Christ, it's a necessity for our souls. It's our very souls we're talking about here. Not some kind of physical hunger. But we all know what it's like to be hungry. The kids mentioned it, or I mentioned it this morning. You feel hungry, that gnawing feeling in the morning because you haven't eaten. You know, I get out of bed, I get out of bed. Oh, where's my, where's my vitamins? Where's my fruit? Where's my toast? I'm feeling hungry. And it can be satisfied quickly, you, have, you feel relief. But interestingly enough, a few hours later, I'm hungry again. We're hungry again. And we need to have that midday meal. Again, we feel relieved. So the process goes on um, day after day. We eat to live. Or one, heard one young fellow said to me, no, we don't eat to live, we live to eat. Because there's so many good things around. Uh, and uh, he had a weight problem. <coughs> Without food, eventually, though, the body begins to feed upon itself until all its reserves are gone. And that's what it does. If you don't eat food, the body starts taking energy, breaking other things down in your body, your fats down to, to produce energy to try and stay alive. But I don't want to take this analogy too far. Um, and we should note that bread does not express the quickening power that we experience through the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. Bread does not begin life, but nourishes it and sustains it. Nourishing and sustaining that which already exists. Our souls do not live by the power of bread, but derive life from Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. And let us not forget that God must come to us, not just to reveal himself to us as the bread of life, but also to impart himself to us as the bread of life. The fact that the Son of God came down to us points to our, our utter inability to save ourselves. And kids make a special note of this. You cannot save yourselves. You cannot save yourselves. It requires God to come down and save you. 
We don't climb up to God and to get spiritual food we need. No, he comes down to us and gives himself to us. That Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven speaks of the sovereign grace of God because it is God alone who saves. It is God alone who saves. Hence Christ goes on to define that manner of feeding. He says simply, come to me and hunger no more. But what does he mean when he says, come? Come is a simple word, isn't it? We eat of Christ, this spiritual living bread, by coming to him and believing on him. This coming does not mean we walk, we walk up to Jesus. It means coming to him in your heart spiritually. We're not talking about a physical thing here. We're talking about spiritual building up. It means coming to him with, a, with hunger in your souls because you know your sin and your wretchedness before a holy God. You realise that you are dead and dying because you have eaten of that poison, that poison known as sin. That poison of sin was born within us. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. But somewhere for a believer in their life, that, that poison comes forth and we need to, to deal with it. Coming to Jesus means that you repent of your sins. You are sorry for them. But more importantly, you have confessed them and turned away from them. Then too, coming to Jesus as a bread of life means believing on him with a true faith. It means that you are hungry for him as the only food for your soul. I can only be satisfied by coming to Christ spiritually. For Christ here is referring to that movement of the soul initiated by the Holy Spirit which takes place when we feel sin and find out that we cannot save ourselves. We hear and lay hold of Christ. We apply to and trust Christ. We lean all our weight on Christ for salvation. And this, brothers and sisters, is that wonderful work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And he comes upon an unbeliever and changes them, changes their thoughts, and thereby changing their wills so that they desire. And suddenly they recognise the wretchedness of their sin. Even now we feel that when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin as believers, we feel the wretchedness of sin. And what we, what we want to do is go and seek God and seek his forgiveness and turn from that sin. That's Christ feeding us, feeding us in our daily lives. This takes place when we come to Christ. We've been called to feed on this living bread. And two things I'd like you to note about this calling. Firstly, it is an act of God alone. It is an act of God alone by which the elect are brought into fellowship and union with Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, God is, God is faithful by whom you were called into the, into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Secondly, you and I benefit from the fruits of his redeeming and saving work on our behalf. Who then is the agent of this call? It is the Holy Spirit of God who applies his calling, applies his calling and salvation to sinners, to those chosen before the foundation of the world. And this was even recognised in the Old Testament. Wonderful couple of verses in Ezekiel, which I've always loved. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Um, the, the particular effect on a, on a person, God gives his children and says, we have one flesh, we have, sorry, we have one heart, and I will put my new spirit within them and take away the stony heart, heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And the effect of this action by God is that 
they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. It reminds us of Solomon, doesn't it? The word said to Solomon in their studies. This is being spoken by Ezekiel. And that's it. We receive soft hearts in place of hearts of stone. We receive hearts that are soft to hear the word of God. That's being fed by Christ. That's being fed by, by our belief in Christ. That change, that change. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? When we've been converted. Some of us quickly, some of us over a period of time. We come to realise the change. We have one heart in fellowship with God and a new heart and a new spirit. We have a new walk. That's what's, that's what's required. A complete change in our life. That comes about only by a supernatural intervention to a people who are infinitely sinful. It is a change which is permanent, eternal, and ever fed by Christ. So change comes, and we need to be fed. And we will always be fed. Christ says, I will always feed you. You've got this new life, I will keep you, I will feed you. And because of this now, we possess, possess that wonderful saving faith that comes from God. This calling of the elect, we notice, if, is effectual. We actually do come to Christ. The Holy Spirit is not powerless. We don't have two lots of regenerations like some charismatics believe. You need to be regenerated once or twice, rebaptized, whatever. But now you and I must fast, face that harsh reality about ourselves, about all men. That is, we have no ability to come to Christ and no ability to believe on him ourselves. The fact is that no one by nature comes and believes and eats. The Jews show this by the very... Uh, very plainly by their reactions to Jesus' words. He says, Jesus says, No man can come to me unless the Father draws, draws him. Men and women, boys and girls, kids, you cannot come on your own because you will not. You will not until God intervenes in your life. And then you will come. But you won't come reluctantly. You'll come joyfully. God's not saying I'm forcing you to come because he changes your desires. He changes your will. He changes your mind. He changes your actions. He changes your words. He changes you into a saving faith. He's not pulling you against your will. He's not working apart from your activity. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Yes, we are being changed. We're being changed by his will, but to do his good pleasure. We're not changed to have a holiday. We're to carry out his purposes. Everyone in this room who is saved, has a ministry upon this earth. Some kind of ministry, whether it's talking to the neighbour, whether it's preaching, whether it's encouraging, whether it's building others up in the, in the body of Christ. We all have a ministry. We, all, we are all useful servants of Christ because we fed on him and we have that out, outworking in us. Dear brethren, it is God by his spirit who works in sinners the grace of hunger and repentance and faith, causing them to see their sin, to see Christ and to come to him. Unbeliever, you will come when you are called in full agreement with the word of God because you will, want, you will see your sin and you will want to have that hunger and thirst for, for forgiveness of sin uh, uh, done, uh, covered. You will come because the Father works his grace in your heart and because you are one of those whom he has, been give, has given Jesus to save. Not all unbelievers come to this bread. The bread is not for all people according to the Father's eternal purposes. Some 
who don't come. That's because uh, the Father's effectual drawing in the heart, unbelievers invariably come. But he, we have this promise that all that the Father gives me will come to him. Not all will hear. The Holy Spirit may strive with the person. And the person has that hard heart. But we do know that that person is called, the Holy Spirit will strive with him, and he will come. That's effectual calling. He will come. But some will hear and some will walk away. As many did later on in this chapter of John 6. They couldn't take what Jesus said and almost all walked away. And Jesus asked the question of his disciples, will you too walk away? And Peter said, no, to whom would we walk to? And the disciples didn't walk away. We have that wonderful promise, as I said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Unbeliever, are you among those who want to come to Jesus' day to feed on this bread? Are you hearing this call today? Are you even listening? Are you hungering to learn more of the Lord Jesus Christ? That starving and famishing of your soul is brought about by sin. It will begin to wane as the softening work of the Holy Spirit commences work in you. Then you will have your first taste of your salvation and that hunger is met. You see, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, was given to, by God the Father to be the satisfier, the reliever and the physician of our spiritual, our spiritual needs. We can have complete relief because there's no more spiritual salvation. This is a food which ever satisfies. And we keep coming and feeding on it and ever be satisfied. So this introduces in our, our third heading, believe and thirst no more. As Ryan said, your thirst is a sensation often referred to the mouth and the throat. You get thirsty. Associated with a craving for drink, it means a desire for water. Cellular de- Here's a bit of biology again. Cellular dehydration also influences thirst and therefore, inter- uh, therefore water intake. But have you really been thirsty? I mean, I'm talking about when your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and all you can think about is water. Have you really had that, that real thirst? <coughs> Physical thirst can be excruciating and dangerous. Dehydration will get you into serious trouble in a hurry. A lot of people rescued from the water are suffering not only uh, from the coldness, but also from dehydration. You can't drink the salt water. It's a, it's a, it's a, a dangerous thing to be without water. That's because 70% of your body is composed of water. As that percentage drops, so all sorts of biological processes start to fall apart because most biological processes require water. That's why the body's got that much in it. I think if you've been really, really thirsty, then perhaps you'll be able to con- connect a bit more with a, this thirst in a spiritual sense. As dehydration draws the whole of our physical being uh, to a longing for water, so a spiritual void. A spiritual void will draw our spirits into a search for a deeper meaning for our lives. Thirst is one of the most powerful spiritual symbols in all of Scripture. Thirsting after the, 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 the blood of Christ. Thirsting after love from God. Thirsting after doing that which is right in God, by God. Thirst in obeying God. Thirst in a desire to, to, to serve him faithfully. It's a great way of, uh, of, of bringing across that great need. And I think, interestingly enough, the psalmist express it this way. It's a familiar psalm, these couple of psalms. As the deer pants for the water, brooks, 
so my soul, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I when shall I come and appear before God? And the other psalmist said, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. That's because their souls are thirsting after things like forgiveness. You that deer coming up to the water, panting for the water. We must capture that type, that type of spiritual thirst. A thirst to long for God and for spiritual living. A long for the body of Christ. But here Christ is saying, believe, not drink. He's saying, believe and thirst no more. Because the word believe is a, a, a verb from which we attain, uh, obtain the, the noun faith, expressing confidence in God. Therefore, the word believe is a spiritual ca- characteristics. We must have faith then to believe in something or someone here, and that someone is a per- purpose, person of Christ. I have faith in Christ. I have faith in Christ and believe that he has died on the cross for my sins. For my sins. But I ask you today here, here today, what do you believe? Is your faith such that you no longer thirst for Christ or are you of little faith and therefore prone to different beliefs? Are you plagued by unbelief attacks? Unbeliever, do you believe only in yourself and the ability to save yourself? Unbeliever, do you think that you are invincible? Because that's what the world says today. Assert yourself, you can do anything because you're invincible. I can do anything. And we can so easily miss the point here. When we come to the bank of the river, we see the water, but we don't drink. You, unbeliever, hear the word of God faithfully made clear to you each week and in your home, but do you take it in? Or is your mind off somewhere because I'm invincible? Is it wandering somewhere? You see, God will lead you to the river, but he won't make you to drink. If you want to be filled, you must drink. So when you come to Jesus, he will provide you with that living water, a spiritual satisfaction, a spiritual contentment, that you cannot find anywhere else. And as he said to the woman in the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. That's talking about the water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, Jesus is giving a special spiritual water. And it will evolve into a, a, an everlasting life. That's what comes upon understanding that. You come to understand what eternal life really means. And that living water, and that's why he says here, uh, you will never, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Never thirst spiritually again. <clears throat> and we must understand that it is Christ alone. He alone can relieve and supply um, that thirst that you have. That's the office of Christ, to relieve those who believe on him and commit their soul into his hands. In so coming... Christ pledges his royal word that you shall find everlasting satisfaction for now and eternity. I'll just conclude with a few words. Brethren, what a joy, what a joy it is to have no other needs save Christ. We can feed on him daily. We're able to be spiritually filled to overflowing. Are you not able to look back and testify to his bounty? In this matter, look at the spiritual blessings, the spiritual guidance for daily living we receive from his word. Look at the wonderful promise in John, uh, here in John 6, the last part of, part of verse 37. The one who comes to me, 
I will by no means cast out. We're forever taken in by him. We deserve to be cast out, but Christ will not refuse to save anyone who comes to him, no matter what they've done in the past. It doesn't matter how bad your life's been in the past. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, all things become new. We know that our sins have been great in the past. We know our present weaknesses and infirmity are quite great. But Christ has received us graciously. He has pardoned us freely. He has placed us in a number, placed us in the number of his dear children. He's given us eternal life. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for a victorious life? Christ is the living bread. He is the bread of life. He satisfies every need. He satisfies our deepest needs. He is the is to the soul what food is to the body and ear to the lungs he feeds us he fills us he who comes to Christ will never go hungry he believes in Jesus will never be thirsty I am the bread of life says Jesus he fills us satisfies us but this does not happen automatically when it comes to feeding on Christ what we need is faith it is faith that joins us to Christ and his suffering death well may he be called the bread of life. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, assist us to seek your face first when we are troubled by our sin, that we would know perfect peace. Our God, we thank you for your word this day and the blessing it is to our often troubled souls and the great soothing balm it is to us as your word, as you work out your promises in our lives. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the bread of life, filling us daily by his grace and mercy to us who are in need of that daily bread. Hear the cries of those who are unsaved in this place, that you might be, by your good grace, mercifully saving them by revealing Christ to them this day and feed them upon the bread of life. We pray for grace to grow strong in our faith and feed upon your bread daily, that we might not succumb to impatient desires, that we might heed your Holy Spirit as he applies your word to us this day. Lord, we thirst for you. We long to be in your presence. Our souls will wait upon you. Father, draw us nearer to the beauty of your holiness. We pray that our hearts will be softened to your truth and that the unconverted in our midst today will look to you to know peace unto salvation. We ask all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen.